Hello, I'm Liz Jones. If you read my diary in the Mail on Sundays You magazine, then you'll know me and my life pretty well. But if you've always wanted to know more, this is the place for you. Welcome to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast. I'll be taking you behind the scenes of this week's column before digging back into the archives to find some of the most shocking and hilarious stories from the last 20 years. I'll be doing all this with the help of my assistant, friend and confidant, Nick. Hello. How are you this week? Liz? Liz? Because if anyone doesn't know who the podcast is, it's Liz. How are you this week, Liz? Yeah, but they might not know who's talking, mightn't they? I think they know the they difference. They might think it's Prince Harry. How, oh. does, how does everybody have Prince Harry on their podcast apart from us? I don't know. Do we want Prince Harry on our podcast? Yeah. Do we? Yeah. Oh, okay. He's just on a podcast in America saying that Prince Charles treated him the way Prince Charles had been treated. Oh, dear. Is he not going to leave it alone? So he's, he's still moaning. So the theme of this week's podcast, on which Prince Harry isn't appearing, because I'm not Bryony. He might think you're Meghan, though, if he comes. Yeah, he might hair. think you're Meghan, you see. So it's probably better he doesn't. You don't want to be like, you know... The theme of this week's podcast is moaning. We're good at that. So Prince Harry... I don't moan. Prince Harry's been moaning about his dad. And I wrote a piece for Mail Plus earlier this week in the run-up to Davina McCall's programme, which was on Wednesday night on Channel 4 about the menopause. And I, basically, the theme of my piece was that women shouldn't see every stage of their lives as a problem and themselves as victims. So I made a list of every stage of a woman's life that we moan about. So it's adolescence, puberty, getting a boyfriend, being dumped childbirth, not being able to have children. And now it's the menopause. Every podcast apart from ours is about every, the menopause. Every, menopause. Yeah. There's a plethora of it's books about the menopause. menopause day. And so my feeling in this piece that I wrote, and I was in quite a bad mood when I wrote it, was if you continually portray yourself as a victim, every stage of your life is a problem. You're going to make yourself less employable and less happy. Yeah, definitely less happy. Definitely less happy. And my point was, not that I'm not sympathetic with people who have very, very, very bad menopause symptoms, and I didn't, because I didn't really go through your puberty, so I didn't go through the menopause, is you're growing old. It's part of life. And the, the reaction these days is for people to say, well, I'm growing old, I don't like it. You know, I I might be 97, but I still want to play tennis. And I'm going to go to my GP. Why isn't he more sympathetic? Why can't I mar- run a marathon when I'm 112? You can't. You're old. And this is it, the menopause is part of growing old. Yeah. It might be difficult, but you're not a victim. It's part of the cycle of life. You don't remain the same through all your life and your no, expectations true. aren't the same. So I wrote that, well, if you've got a Someone dry says. vagina, don't have penetrative sex. Do something else. It's not your right to have penetrative sex when you're 97. Do well, no. something else. I mean, crack on and all power to you. I mean, Do you something know. else. You know, it isn't your right to live at your peak for the whole of your existence. 
you can't just expect life to go exactly as you want it to go, seamlessly yeah. cruising. And so my point was, it's not a disease growing old, it's part of life. And just be thankful you're not dead. Be thankful you didn't die at 59 or at 45 or at 30, you know. Just be thankful you're still alive. And there's a lot of help out there now as well, isn't there? There's, there's um, a lot of support out there for then, all then stages of I've got this huge Twitter storm saying, we've got to talk about it, we've got to talk about it. So I said in this piece, if you're a woman and you work in an office or you work in a hospital or you work at Boots... Women talk about nothing else and their problems. And I said, when I worked at the Evening Standard, I knew all the women on my desk. I knew the names of their husbands. I knew the names of their children, the nanny, the fact they were having a leather floor put down in their sitting room. There's no part of a woman's life you don't know about. But the man who sat opposite me was called Andy and he was the common editor. And one day he just stood up and he killed over like a tree. And it turned out his wife had twins and none of us knew. Who said it should be keeling over? No, but he was exhausted. Oh. That's the point. <laughs> I know. So why do women constantly have to have this conversation about themselves? Men don't do it. Men just get on with the job. And then I listed all the excuses that women used to call up saying they weren't coming into work. Oh, well, I'm stressed. My thyroid's playing up. You leave me I, alone. <laughs> I've got the period. Um, my husband's left me. And the best one was... This was someone who's now a very famous columnist. Her, her excuse for not coming into work, I've got a Conran shop sofa being delivered through the window. That was you, wasn't it? No, it wasn't me. <laughs> Don't spoil my jokes. Don't spoil your joke. So then I got a Twitter storm of people saying, I can't believe you wrote that, that it's just part of life. You know, we can't just go on the same as we are, looking the same as we are. Um, well, one from Jane Ann. Thank you, Jane Ann. Put your surname in in your address and it might be more of an equal battle. Liz, you have never put anyone before yourself. You are the consummate me, me, me. And this is in response to the fact that I wrote, stop bleating about the menopause. Stop bleating about the fact you, you've had, you want IVF on the NHS campaign for something other than yourself do any of these women going on about the menopause do they talk about the rights of their cleaners no they just accuse the cleaner of stealing the berry brothers wine do they campaign about the rights of women working in bangladesh in the garment industry no do they campaign for animal rights how many charities are they on it's just a myopic solipsistic view of their own problems and that's wrong Jane Anne actually I'm going to bar you from Twitter I'm going to become like Piers Morgan I do put <laughs> others before blocker. myself how many charity auctions have I run I how know, many charities am I on the board on I'm the patron of save the Asian elephants I, know. I put my life at risk in Ethiopia trying to save horses. I wouldn't live in sodding Yorkshire if it wasn't for my animals. So I do put others before myself. But this this whole thing, you're a woman, all you care about is being a woman. Look at all those older women who have Celia Hammond who runs a cat charity. They're not moaning about the menopause. They're campaigning about something other than what it is to be a woman. I think, I think we need to be fair in that some women do have a god-awful time and it is debilitating and it is, it is but it's genuinely part of life. awful. It's not an, growing old isn't an illness. No, absolutely. It doesn't make it less awful, though, does it? If you're going through something and you feel terrible and you feel ill and you feel emotional and 
Um, and what well, going lots on. of people wrote to me saying, well, I had HRT, I just got on with it. Yeah, and that, that's the other side of it. There's going to be those that really suffer. There's going to be those that don't feel anything at all. And there's going to be those that do have a problem. But there's get on this with it. culture that it's GPs who are supposed to make us go seamlessly through life. That isn't their job. Their no. job is curing things like cancer and mental illness and anorexia. Their illnesses. Growing old isn't an illness. It's no. part of life. And I feel very sorry for GPs. And actually, in all these things, if you're feeling Do terrible, you, think you need to Twitter look. Do you this storm was justified then? I think it's very... No, I think, I think it's very emotive. And I think a lot of people feel strongly about it if they're going through it. If you're going through something you're going to have a really, really definite opinion about it and it's going to be painful if people don't recognise your suffering. But no one likes growing old. No, no one. No, I, I'm certainly not keen, I have to say. This creaking thing doesn't do me. But I was very angry that she said I don't put anyone before myself because I do. I'm like my mum. I'm the most selfless person. I've given everything away. I campaign for animals. I run auctions, I work for charities, I'm patron of charities, I don't constantly bleat on about my own problems, I don't. But maybe that's maybe that's why people think that, because you come across as strong, because you come across as you're very witty, you're, you've got quite a dark wit, people don't see all the other stuff you do behind the columns, behind the Well, it's the in scenes. the bloody newspaper, Nicola. <laughs> what more do you want? I know, but if people are reading something, they just have a definite opinion, they don't look at the whole picture... People just see one aspect of a person when they're in the media and really pretty much... And then I got loads of tweets else. saying, how dare you attack Davina McCall? Well, how dare you attack me? Why is it OK to attack me? But you're not, you're not attacking Davina McCall. You're having a discussion about the issue. I think that's what we need to get perspective of. We can all have opinions, we can all agree and disagree, but we're all entitled to our opinion. But basically, if you're growing old, it's not the fault of your GP. It's not no. the fault of your employer. No, and it's a natural process, absolutely. But we had a letter, didn't we, from somebody about my piece, didn't we, We Nat? did, we did, Chris. Um, and Chris said, Love today's article about Davina McCall and her moaning. Agree with everything you've written. Could it be that women who moan about doctors are not helping them with menopausal symptoms don't do enough to help themselves? I had to have a hysterectomy in my early 30s, so never had kids. Neither was their IVF available. You have to make the best of what life throws at you. So she, she agreed with you yeah. that, you know... And, yes, it's true, you do have to make the best of what your situation is, but I do think if you're in the throes of something that you're really struggling with, it's really, really hard to cope with. Don't blame your GP. Don't blame your GP, no. You're growing older? Yeah. So how's your week been, Nick, apart from not being well? Yeah, I've still not been You kept phoning really in sick, well. didn't you? I I've not been well again, and you've still not been well, have you? So no, we've, we've both all right yesterday and today. Both had a bit of a week of it. Yeah, and this not being well, it kind of got me thinking. I, and I read a book called "Get Over I Got It" by Elaine Fluker, which came out on the eleventh, so it came out this week. And it, is she I, American? By she any is chance? American, and um, it, well, I say I read. I listened to it on audio book, and. It was kind of in sort of a response because I'm very 
I don't like I don't like not doing stuff. I you know I I try and do everything. I don't let anybody do anything for me. And I've had to the last two weeks where I've not been well. Well, and before I've I've had to. Well, particularly last two. I mean, I do crawl in if I can. If I don't get in to do the horses, it's no. But I've, I've had a reaction calm. from Nick where I'm mucking out her horse's stable, and he's always the worst because he's very very big. And she was like, "Don't muck my horse out. I want to do my own horse. I want to do my own horse." Are you taking the piss out of my accent, though? Is it? Is it you're taking it? the piss out of my horse? My horse? So even when you're mucking out her horse's stable, she still starts shouting? No, no, no. It's just I don't... I, I want to do my own horse. two aspects to that. I think it's... I don't want you having to do a, a nasty bed that's my responsibility. And also, I'm very... I don't like to let go of anything. It's like, I'll do it, I'll do it, because I'm so particular. I think... I think I'm more particular than you are, Nick. Not, not on the beds. I'm well, the queen of the beds. I'm the queen of the beds. Yeah, that's after they've been in them. Um, <laughs> so I'm kind of like, I thought this book sounded quite interesting because it is something I struggle with, with asking people for help. And I was thinking, why do we, and we, men and women, find it so difficult to ask for help? Is it that we're embarrassed? Is it that we are So what does she say? What does Elaine Fluker say? Well... She she talks very much about this pressure to be superwoman nowadays. Women are meant to be everything. They're meant to look after the kids. They're meant to go to work. And there's just so much pressure on women to do everything. I think there's also the equal amount of pressure on men, to be honest, because I think they're meant to be working and sensitive and doing the housework. They don't necessarily do it. Martin, I'm talking to you. Go up, Yeah, exactly. So it was a bit sort of like about women are sort of embracing like their masculine energy a bit too much. But it was a really good book with lots of pointers in. And as I think the says, reason I did, when I was married, the reason I did everything in my marriage was because if I tried to delegate something to my husband, so I'd say to him, can you phone the gas board and tell them this bill is wrong and they need to put in a smart net? And you'd hear him on the phone to them, hello, oh, OK, that's all right, OK, bye-bye useless so the reason we have to do everything is because they don't do it properly and i think i think that's certainly a big part of it it's just sometimes easier to do it yourself isn't it rather than explain how to do it or redo it when they don't do it properly or no but i know how someone doing it bed out i've done it hundreds of times but we're talking in general now we're off of quince's bed we're in general now um leave quince's bed we're off of the bed but in general it can be frustrating if it's something like for instance if i was writing a column and you were mentoring me, and you'd think, I could write that in 10 minutes, she's taking three hours. It becomes frustrating, doesn't it? You're looking at me blankly. It's just an example that, that would be, you know, on your... I think why a lot of women say, I've got it and I don't need any help, is fear that they would become irrelevant. Because if the other person finds out, actually, it's not that hard to cook a roast dinner and it's not that hard to clean and put the bin out, they've become irrelevant and not needed. I think that's definitely an issue in the workplace as well, where we don't want to show any weakness. We've fought so hard to be equal. We've fought so hard to be, you know, on the same level as men. And then to say, oh, I can't do that. So I think there's a sort of vulnerability that we don't want to show in certain areas. So what's her solution? What's the whole point of her existing, this person, <laughs> Elaine? Well, <laughs> the whole point of her existing was Do we really book. need another American self-help book? Well, 
it's it's what a nice book. From it's it? quite comforting, and it does sort of bring up issues. And, and it talks about being easier on yourself. It's okay to ask for help. It's not an issue. And about let's talk about our priorities. We often say that we've got priorities, and then we ignore our priorities because we're too busy or we're struggling to fulfill them. So actually, is that a necessary priority? If not, drop it. If it is, actually do something about it and drop something else. So it's it's quite a friendly does, book. Does it tell you how to go about accepting help? Do you do it with good yeah, grace? Yeah, definitely. And it talks about, for instance... Do you have to do something in return? No, it, one of the issues that um, she brought up, which I thought was a really good, which is something I've had, is when you've asked for help, and basically someone doesn't want to help you and, and sort of like makes you feel an idiot for asking or you've had to push, 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 and you kind of then it sort of puts you off asking again. And she addressed that and she said that, okay, you've had that experience, don't let it stop you asking for help. Maybe ask, look at who you're asking for help. Look at what the help is that you want, but don't let it stop you. And I think that's a really good point because if someone sort of knocks me back, I don't ask for help easily. And if I did and then someone won't help me, I would just sort of like... I'd, well, I sort of just retract into a shell and sort of like, oh, I wish I hadn't have asked now. I'm never asking again. So I thought she made a really good point. And, and what she said towards the end of the book is what she's doing is she's building a network, network of women who favour collaboration over competition. And I thought that was a really good point. Are they a network point. of women who all help each other? Yeah, so she's got friends who will help each other. And it's not about trying to be better in each other. It's not ego driven it's just about being helpful and i think everybody well, you know needs i'm always that. trying to get work for people aren't yeah, i are. so if i've got yeah. a friend who's a pr and then this musician emails me from canada and says i'm launching my album do you know as pr i put them together yeah. i'm always doing that yeah you do absolutely and i think i think it's a really nice thing to do is to actually get yourself surrounded by people that are helpful that will help you that you can offer something to when it's appropriate and it's not a big ego thing. It's not a, a question of feeling vulnerable. So I, I, I enjoyed the book. I really did. Does that mean that you're going to go and pick up my Vogue book from the post office? It does mean I'm going to pick up your How Vogue book. How many weeks? It's six weeks. It's not quite six weeks. But we, we've got the PDF. I don't want the PDF. I, I want it on my shelf. I know, I know. I will pick up your book. I also got contacted by Reengage which is a charity which organises like tea parties for elderly. So they're starting to think about, are their volunteers still able to help? You haven't got time for that. Well, no, I've, I've, I'm a volunteer for but it. But you haven't it had never... time to pick up my copy of Vogue from the post office, but you can volunteer. Well, hopefully by then the room will have stopped spinning and I won't be dizzy. But it's a nice thing to do, How isn't it? How have you got time to volunteer when you haven't got time to but go to the post office? But it's a nice thing to do. Elderly people... Don't ignore the question. Come to your... I will go to the post office. Elderly people can go to your house and have a lovely tea party, make new they friends. They don't want to go to your house. What's wrong with my house? Well, you've got the rabid dog. It's small. It is small, but we can have a tea party in the garden, which will probably be for the post-COVID thing anyway. And I make really good cakes. You you don't get this figure without being a really good cake maker. I don't know how you've got time to do that. Nick, but it's a honest. really nice thing to do. So if anybody has got time and wants to put on a tea party, you can 
do that. You can contact Reengage or help the aged, and you can volunteer. And it's it's a, just a lovely thing to do. I was going to invite people you. Wouldn't, people wouldn't want my cakes. Was, All of no. my cooking becomes a biscuit, doesn't no, it? No, no, they won't want your cakes. Rice but, pudding becomes a biscuit. A marble cake became a biscuit. Even the birds wouldn't eat it. But I was going to invite you anyway. So if they, I haven't got time. I'm very high flying and busy. Don't be mean. I'll give you cake. So what have you been up to then? Writing my column. Oh, God. Not sitting in the garden eating cake. I haven't been. I'm just planning to. And the headline on this is probably the first headline of this kind in 21 years. Da, da, da. In which I meet a man I actually like. Hold the phone. Stop right now. Say that again. Just repeat it. So I went to <laughs> Rudding Park which is a lovely hotel, lovely and hotel. I had an open-air lunch with this man who I'd met on Twitter, and it all went really well. He was very polite, he insisted on paying, he could name that collie, he didn't go off in a mood, he didn't bring his own CD, and I regaled him with antidotes. So I told him all my best antidotes, so I told him the one about going to interview Donald Trump in Scotland and my ex was the driver because I had to leave at two in the morning and drive all the way to Scotland so he was the driver so we got to his golf hotel and there was a car park and manning the car park was the CIA and they all had guns oh, fantastic. and they all talked into their wrists it was fantastic Did they say copy that copy that copy, copy that, that. But the newspapers being what they are, because it was so last minute, no one had got me accreditation. It was a bit like going to the Dior show. I had to blag my way in. But rather than blag my way in past a couple of stick insects outside the Dior show saying, do you know who I write for? You'll never waitress in Torquay again. God. I had to blag my way past the CIA. And so they said, well, how do we know that you're a journalist for the Mail on Sunday? And I said, Google me. And they did. The CIA Googled me. That's great. I like that. Google and then me. they looked at my ex who'd driven me there. He was just standing in his pyjamas because we'd had to leave so quickly. And they <laughs> said, well, who's he? This is the CIA with the guns. And so I said, he's my photographer. <laughs> and they said, well, where's his camera? So I said, it's in his pocket. Oh my and they God. let us in. Oh they let my us in. God. And then Donald Trump, so I'm telling all this to the new man, and he's sitting there with his mouth open at all my stories. Then the helicopter with Trump written on the side arrives. And Trump comes out and everyone. And I got the giggles because it was so ridiculous. And when I get the giggles, I cannot stop. No, you so can't. Trump comes along to shake everyone's hands and I have got the giggles. And I'm still wearing my tracky bottoms because we had to leave so quickly. And I'd brought an Yves Saint Laurent outfit along in a clothes carrier in case the male wanted to take a picture of me in front of the helicopter. <laughs> so I was going, Mama hair, Mama hair. Bed hair. So to going to meet Donald Trump, I gave my ex the clothes carrier. I said, your job is to carry my clothes. I feel disaster approaching. So we went to the press conference up on the 18th hole and, and I was quite tired by this time and then we went back to the hotel to file my copy and I said to my ex, where's my clothes? Where's my Yves Saint Laurent? And he said, oh, I left them at the 18th hole. Oh, he got fed up see, holding them. See, I knew there'd be a disaster. So I said, but that was your one job. You weren't the photographer because you don't have a camera. It was your one job to hold my clothes. And this is so why we do it So at the end of the day... 
we drive back to the 18th hole to get them. And the CIA told them they blew them up because it was a suspicious package. <laughs> Oops. 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 So I'm telling this guy all of this and two hours went by and then he insisted on paying. Then he walked me to my car, my awful smelly car. I hate it when people walk me to my car because the dogs have just destroyed it. And he ran off to another bit of the car park and I thought, well, he's gone. <laughs> Bye. And then he came back with three squeaky toys Aww. for the dogs. And Lots of brownie points. He said, I really enjoyed it. I saw your face as I approached the table and it was all sparkling. And then we drove off. And then I spent the whole of the evening looking at my phone, waiting for a text to see what the result was. Isn't it awful being judged on doesn't a first date? Doesn't it show, day? though, it doesn't matter whether you're a teenager or whether you're 60 Are you or saying whatever. I'm postmenopausal? No, I just mean whatever stage of life you are, a first date is a first date. I'm in my prime. You're, Thank well, you. Yeah, okay. But it's the first date is a first date, isn't it? Whatever age you are. I think that's quite nice, though. So we've been getting on really well on text. And just before we met up for the first time, he said, all I want is a quiet life with a woman in jobbers. So that's quite a nice thing to say, that isn't it? It is a nice, yeah. That is but a he nice didn't thing show off. He didn't, he wasn't rude to the waitress. He Good. wasn't all chippy because the people on the next table recognised me. The beautiful young woman and her boyfriend, they recognised me and he didn't go off in a half. So he was sort of like the anti-ex. He wasn't like any of my exes. Okay, can we, uh, producer, put like angels singing and stuff like in, into this bit here? Birds tweeting. Yeah, like a Disney violins, thing. like a Disney thing. Yeah, that's it. So now I'm in the awful no man's land, literally of waiting for a text to say, do you want to see each other again? Because I think it's up to him to text me. But it went really well, so... But the funny thing was, he told me that he was quite hot and bothered when he arrived because it was a three and a half hour drive from Cambridge. And he told me that he parked the car and got changed in the car park. See, I love that. That's quite an unusual thing, isn't it? I thought I was the only because one who did that. Because then he'd be fresh. He wanted to be fresh. No, I'm, I'm, I'm warming to this But we one. don't know yet how he's going to react to me writing about him because I haven't discussed that yet. Yeah, but he's, unless, he's, unless he's on Mars, it's not like going to be a surprise, is and it? And also, he's going to get good reviews unless he's naughty. And yes. if he does something naughty, it is going to be written about, yes, isn't it? Yes, it is. So, it's a re- so either behave yourself so or behave back away. behave yourself if you want good press. <laughs> Unless, yeah, unless he's on Mars, he will know you're going to write about him. So he's obviously okay with that. But it's all at the quite exciting stage. It is, isn't it? I think this is the best stage. I think this is the best bit. It's before it gets into that sort of boring, crappy bit. It's this is the nice bit. And the the fact that they forget to bring you any squeaky toys, and well, they start that was moaning. Nice. Um, oh, and I did send him a text, and I said. Dinner's on me next time. And he said, I don't think that's appropriate. Maybe on the third or fourth date. So I said, what do you mean paying or do you mean sex? Oh, my God. Well, he'd have already have read about you, like, changing your sheets and pointing your toilet paper. That's so- your fault. <laughs> you can read this week's diary in full on Man on Sunday's You magazine. I have been watching 
The Pursuit of Love, which is a new BBC series. What did you think? Well, I loved it because I loved the books. They're so funny. And a few of the lines made it to the programme. So Linda is obsessed with animals and she's got a pet mouse and Fanny, her friend, has got a pet mouse as well. And it died and it had a sore back. And so Linda said, what, were you riding it? But it's that sort of humour I love. Yeah, yeah. And then Lord Merlin goes to Paris and she says, why are you wearing sunglasses? He said, it's because I've got really kind eyes and if I don't wear sunglasses, I get all these beggars running after me. (laughs) So I love the Metfords. They're they're my epitome of an early Helen Fielding. They're just so funny. But it's had really bad reviews but I don't normally like Lily James, but I just thought I couldn't stop looking at her. She's just so beautiful. She's not skinny. Um, no, she is really she's beautiful. Just, I thought she was perfect, and I thought she was so brilliant, and she looked, and all the costumes were amazing. There was loads of fur, which obviously they shouldn't be wearing, but it was obviously between the walls. And it just reminded you of a more carefree time when people were a bit crazy you know it was all based on the bright young things which was Cecil Beaton and they all used to dress up and they knew how to have a good time didn't they I mean when Tony come on the scene he knows how to have a good time doesn't he does Tony Tony Name's Tony. No, he's the German. He's awful. No, we don't like him. No, we don't like him, but he knows how to have a good time. I mean, he's in there, isn't he? Yeah, well, he's in there. He's knocking back the shots. He's quite good on the dance floor. He's the sort of bloke I would have gone for. But there's a lovely scene, I think, in the second episode or the third episode where she goes to the Hotel Montalembert in Paris. And when I became editor this is how mad I am when I became editor of Marie Claire I insisted that we all stayed at the hotel Montalembert because that's where the book was set that's not mad that's perfectly reasonable and it's opposite the diptyque shop so you could also go and buy a candle so I said to my managing editor who looked after the purse strings it saved a taxi going to the diptyque shop because it was just right there does life get any better? And I remember Does the it? first season, this is my archive coming up now, so it was about 1999, and the first time I went to Paris for the shows and I stayed at the Hotel Montalembert. But it was slightly less than Mitfordy because I just started going out. This whole column is about the fact that I just started going out with my future husband. So I had the honeymoon disease, which is cystitis. I'm cringing. So there's a marble foyer at the Hotel Montalembert where the pursuit of love is based. And it made me incontinent and I weed on the floor of the Hotel Montalembert before I could get in the lift. Oh, dear God. Why do I not know about these things? Why do I not know about this, like, honeymoon thing and this cystitis thing? It's called the honeymoon. If you have too much sex, you get cystitis. Really? Yeah. You just get thrush. People like me get cystitis. So what, what is it a class thing? Like posh people get like cystitis, like no, but it's get like you, you get herpes. I get cystitis. <laughs> I try not to get herpes. Thank you. <laughs> but it was a lovely hotel, and every day they'd accept all these gifts of handbags that were left for me. 
so you'd go to the Chanel show and that morning you get your invitation, you get tulips and you get a handbag. And oh, so it was days. their job to bring it up to my room. And I remember having a board meeting after we got back from Paris and the horrible publisher said, well, why does the managing editor have to leave a tip? And why is she putting a tip on expenses? If she wants to leave the hotel people a tip after you've stayed there, that should come out of her own money. Oh, dear. But no, it shouldn't. A tip, you're working. Yeah. You want to go back next season. You want not to give your hand back to the girls at L or for the girls at Bose. It's a damn thing anyway, isn't it? You You've got you to can't... leave a tip. Yeah, you can't not leave a tip. But they even complained about the managing editor leaving a tip. Oh, sack them. But it was lovely being in Paris as an editor because I had a town car ferrying me around with a driver. So you never had to get the metro. But then a few years later, I became fashion editor of the Daily Mail. And I went back to the shows after a little bit of a gap. And I had to go to the Dior show, which was in this big park in the middle of nowhere where they've got lots of horses. It was held in like a riding school or something. And afterwards because I didn't have a town car, because newspapers don't give you town cars, they just throw you to the lions. I had to get to a walk. bus. <gasps> a bus? In Chloe Wedges. I had to get a bus. And I, although it had the right number on it, it was going the opposite way, so I ended out in the suburbs. Oh and I nearly got murdered. Oh. But I bet it was pretty going out of Paris towards the no. suburb. No, okay. Once you leave the centre of Paris, it's not pretty. not pretty. It's all tower blocks and everything. Oh, oh. So I could have been murdered. You've just destroyed my romantic. I could have been vision. mugged for my Chloe shoes. You'd have clung to them, Liz. You'd but the best thing about going to the fashion shows was looking at all the celebrities in the front row because they're there, they're pinned, and you can just stare at them for as long as you like. And you always know there's another celebrity coming in because they're just surrounded by fluffy microphones and cameras and there's this, like, a little buzz. And I remember sitting opposite Trudy Styler and Sting. So you're sitting there with your rock star husband and there's all these supermodels walking past, like Giselle and everything, and you could see her hanging on to him for dear life <laughs> like he was a helium balloon and he was about to go off into the night. So you'd never take your husband or your boyfriend to a fashion show. It's completely ridiculous. No. <laughs> it's going to turn their head, isn't it? So sorry to interrupt, Liz, but we have a very important announcement that might just interest your listeners. There's another Mail on Sunday podcast and it could change your life. It's called Medical Minefield. Yes, where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. And that's with me, Barney Kalman, the Mail on Sunday's health editor. And me, Eve Simmons, the deputy health editor. Find us at mailplus.co.uk. Lots of you get in touch, telling me what you think about my life and my decisions. So I think it's only fair that you get to have your say here on the podcast too. If you'd like to get in touch, then go to lizjonesgoddess.com or tweet me at lizjonesgoddess. So how are the readers this week, Nat? They're good. Are they still with us? They are still with us. And we, we actually, we had a, a letter that made me cry. It actually did make me cry. And it was from someone called Kelsey. 
a man. Uh, a man, and um, or at least I think it's a man. That's my assumption. And Kelsey talks about his mum. So it's in reaction to what we were talking about with the COVID last week and, and having the jab. And Yeah, I said that if your mum's had a double jab and you've had a jab, yeah. a double jab, why you can't socialise yeah. with each other, it's completely ridiculous. So, yeah, so Kelsey's responding to that. And he says that basically all his life, his mum's not been very well. She's had to have carers. He's had a lot of responsibility uh, uh, looking after her, a lot of worry, and it's been really, really difficult. And they've been listening to our So podcast. Kelsey is 29 years old now. 20, 28, and he's been isolating with his mum and looking after her. So he's not seeing his wife, he's not seeing his friends, and they've been listening to the podcast. So his mum's been enjoying that, which is lovely. So hello, mum. Hello, mum. <laughs> and she says that, uh, he says that, you're very honest and it makes us smile, the, the fact that you're so honest. And I'm just going to read a bit from it. So he says, at 29, I sit here double jabbed, knowing that I'm immune to COVID, but she's not. She can't bear to hold her grandchildren because their weight causes pain. She can't remember what her children look like and she can barely tolerate the sound of laughter. She fights every day. She fights for a reason to stay alive and prays for the pain to subside. She prays that she will make it through the night. Tonight I heard you say you didn't know what the problem was. If Nick was double jabbed and so is her mum, why should she be worried? My mum is the reason. My mum can't have the jab, but her, wife, her life is worth something to me. It is worth something to my six-month-old that deserves to know how strong her nana is. Even people that are double jabbed can transmit but COVID. But we're not going anywhere near his mum. No, but I think his point is, is even if you're even if you're vaccinated, you can still carry and transmit COVID. And for his mum to get it will probably be fatal. So... That's why we need to carry on with social distancing and isolation and stuff. But that's all going to end in June. Social distancing is going to end in June. And I think I think it will be for people like Kelsey to decide how much they're going to take part in that, won't it? Because he's protecting his mum. So will he go back to normal well, life? I, I doubt it. What I don't understand is we've been vaccinated for measles, we've been vaccinated for mumps, rubella, polio, malaria, whatever... It doesn't mean... It means that none of us get measles. It doesn't mean I'm still going to give you measles. No, but it's taken time, hasn't it? So you're vaccinated and then eventually the, the, the disease goes away because it dies out. So it takes time for yeah, that to happen. herd immunity. It, yeah, it takes time for that to happen. So you can still get it. You can still pass it on. And but people don't get so sick from it. But less people are getting it, less people are passing it on, and eventually it doesn't happen. Well, sorry, so, mummy, we we won't come and visit you. We won't, but we send love. And you've um, got one more. We've Nick. got one more, and a last one, which is marvelous. Claire says, "I emailed a while back to ask who the rock star is. I no longer care. He's a knob." That's it for this week. If you enjoyed listening to Liz Jones's Diary of the Podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review, only good ones, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and mailplus.co.uk. I'll be back next week, but for now, I'm Liz Jones. And I'm Nick. Goodbye. Goodbye.